Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today comes to us from Jesus' high priestly prayer, especially these words. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. This is our text. How many of you have ever heard that we as Christians are supposed to be in the world and not of the world? Have you heard that? This is a fairly well-known phrase, and I think an important one, and it's based on Jesus' words here in, in John 17. But as I was meditating on the gospel reading this, this week, I began to wonder if that phrase, in the world, not of the world, was, was exactly the best way to put it. If the emphasis was, was where Jesus place the emphasis or not. Here's what I mean. In the world, not of the world, can tend to make us think, well, yes, we're in the world, but what we really need to remember is that we're not of the world. It might even lead us to think that being in the world is a bad thing, but, you know, at least we're not of the world. Now, if this is how we understand it, we begin to move away from the world instead of toward it, and that's just about the opposite of what Jesus is praying for here. Jesus does not want us to disassociate from the world. He wants to send us into it. So if you'd like, grab a Bible in front of you. We're going to be looking at at John 17, especially those two verses, verses 14 and 15. Um, And there's a, a sermon outline provided as well in your service folder if you'd like to follow along that way. But I'd like to start with verse 14 where Jesus prays, I have given them, that is his disciples and then by extension us as well, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now when you read that verse, what jumps out at you? For me, it was the phrase, the world has hated them. Jesus says the world has hated us. Not one of his warmer, fuzzier sayings. Is it true? I think in times past, we might have been tempted to think, well, you know, Jesus didn't really quite mean that. Or or at least it doesn't really apply to us. But times are are changing a little bit, aren't they? More and more, uh, and slowly, but but surely, we are becoming um, more and more aware of, of the persecution of our faith in the world and the impact that that persecution may even have on on us comfortable American Christians. We can probably still picture those 21 Egyptian Christians dressed in orange jumpsuits being led onto a beach by their hooded captors who then proceed to behead them because they confess the name of Jesus. With each passing day, it seems that new stories reach our ears about how Christians are being threatened or persecuted or even killed for their faith. Here at home, we are starting to feel more and more pressure from those who would seek to silence us. We as Christians are being more and more pushed to the edges of society. Religious freedoms are being eroded. Our faith is increasingly mocked and ridiculed in pop culture. And some have even begun to wonder if more blatant and overt persecution is well on its way. 
Now I want to pause for a second here. Um, I don't want to give you the impression that what we're here to do today is is to uh, complain about how how badly we have it, or uh, to bemoan the fact that that we're in this state that we're in. We're, we're not here to to look back on the golden age when when we as Christians had it so well. What we are here to do today is to take the words of Jesus seriously, and Jesus says, "The world." has hated them. Why? Why does the world hate us? Well, Jesus gives us two reasons in verse 14. The first, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. The first reason the world hates us is because Jesus has given us God's word. And the world is afraid of God's word because it turns everything upside down. God's word says that the powers and the pleasures of this world are nothing. That true strength is found in being weak. That true joy is found in being meek. God's word also teaches us that our emotions, our our inner desires, do not determine right or wrong. He does. In fact, God's word tells us that many things that this world sees as perfectly permissible or even beautiful and praiseworthy, are in fact riddled with sin. God's word actually tells us that we ourselves, along with our deepest desires, are riddled with sin. Now that's not something that that we're particularly fond of hearing, is it? But it's true. And it shouldn't be surprising that the world doesn't really like to hear it either. It's no wonder that more and more Christians who cling to God's word are being labeled as haters. Now, if you haven't uh, heard the word hater before, it's, it's kind of the hip new way to describe someone that you disagree with, a way to say that, that they are insignificant, no longer worthy to be heard. It's a way to, to shut down dialogue completely. A hater is someone who just tries to drag someone else down, who just doesn't get it. A hater is someone who's thought to be driven purely by outdated and ignorant opinions. Sound familiar? How often do we hear Christians being described as intolerant, or homophobic, or judgmental, or self-righteous? Now, in a way, I think we need to admit that sometimes we have been these things, and when that's the case, we need to repent and change the way that we're living. But in many ways... There's nothing that we can do about this because if we are uncompromisingly faithful to our Lord Jesus and his word, we will be seen as haters by this world. Jesus promised us that earlier in John when he said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. We will be hated like Jesus. We will be seen as haters, but that doesn't mean that we seek to lay claim to that title. We love and love and love. Paul says, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And above all, I think that we as as Christians have a responsibility to show with our words and with our actions that for the Christian, the term self-righteous is an oxymoron. (laughs) 
Because our righteousness comes not at all from ourselves, but from Christ and Christ alone. And in the end, his opinion is the only one that matters. And that leads us into our second reason that Jesus gives us for the world's hatred. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We are not of the world just like Jesus. And so if we want to to know what Jesus means when he says that we are not of the world, the best place to look is to him. How was Jesus not of this world? Well, for one thing, he was entirely without sin. Not once did he give in to the world's temptations, and so we also refuse to conform to the patterns of this world, but instead we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, as Paul puts it in Romans 12. We strive to keep ourselves unstained, unpolluted from the world, as as James puts it. But that's not all. So often we end there in our thinking of not being of the world, but there's more. Fast forwarding a chapter ahead now in John, Jesus tells Pontius Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Not being of the world then means that we don't fight as the world fights. We lay down our swords as Jesus told Peter to do in Gethsemane. Last week, Pastor Bender's sermon for us on Mother's Day was called Loved One's Love. And with our text this week, I I think we can say it's equally true that hated ones love. We are hated, but we do not hate We do not hate back. We love. This also means that we replace our sleepy Christianity with a conviction that this is real. This is personal because we are followers of Jesus. And so not being of the world does not mean that we go hide in the corner. Jesus didn't. (laughs) Jesus came among us. He lived among us. He ate with tax collectors and prostitutes. He spoke the word of God to the Pharisees and the Sadducees instead of writing them off as lost causes. He answered the questions posed to him, even if they were asked with malicious intent to trap him. Ultimately, Jesus died for the world in the world, even though he was never of the world. Jesus loved to the end and beyond. This is our model This is our mission. All of this is to say that that not being of the world means being sanctified in the truth. That's how Jesus puts it in verse 17. Now the world doesn't have much tolerance for the truth. And it never really has. Pontius Pilate spoke for the world as a whole when, when he derisively asked Jesus, what is truth? After all, it isn't your truth, whatever's true for you, and, and my truth, whatever's true for me, even if those truths are, are mutually exclusive? What is truth? Well, the answer, God's word in the Bible, for one thing. We've already talked about how the world feels about that. But an even better answer, Jesus, 
who is himself the word of God, who is himself the way and the truth and the life. And so to be sanctified in the truth really means to be made holy in Jesus because he consecrated himself by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Everyone on the side of truth listens to my voice, he said. That's what it's all about, hearing the voice of Jesus and the good news about what he has done for you. As John said in our epistle lesson, God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Truth is absolute because Jesus is absolute but not everybody has him. So don't be surprised if the world doesn't pick up what you're laying down. But do get into God's word by reading the scriptures. And most of all, listen to the voice of Jesus when he tells you about his death and resurrection, which have won for you forgiveness for all of your sins. This then prepares us for our mission that Jesus prayed for that night before he went to the cross for us. Jesus prayed, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And so your, uh, your sermon outline has, has an error here. It should say, not being of the world does not mean, does not equal being out of the world. And what that means is Jesus is not at all teaching us to retreat to monasteries or, or closed off religious communities. He's not at all praying for God to, to take us away from the world. He is praying that God will keep us from the evil one, from Satan, but this doesn't mean being kept from discomfort or awkward social situations or even persecution if it comes to that. It doesn't mean insulating ourselves from non-Christians or from danger, or from the hatred of the world. It does not mean circling the wagons and holding out as long as we can. It means being kept from Satan, being saved and rescued and preserved from sin and eternal death and the power of the devil. As King David prays in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Why? Because you are with me. God will always and ultimately answer us when we pray, deliver us from evil. God will always and ultimately answer the prayer of Jesus that he would deliver us from the evil one. Isn't that incredible, by the way, that Jesus prayed for us? The night before his death for us, he prayed for us. He prayed for you. Individually, Jesus prayed for you. That's powerful. So take heart. Jesus says that in the world we will have trouble, but he's overcome the world. That's his promise, that he has overcome the world. And what's most amazing of all is that he is using you to fulfill that promise. Jesus prayed, as you sent me into the world, Father, so have I sent them into the world. And so we are not just in the world. We are sent 
to the world. We didn't just happen to be here when, when everything went to pot and God says, I'll just, just hold out for a while. No. We were sent just like Jesus, by Jesus. This means that we as Christians need to be involved in society instead of running from it. We need to speak into our culture instead of ignoring it. We need to engage with people and and show them Jesus no matter what it may cost us. We know this means that we will be hated. Jesus knows that. But he sends us anyway and promises to be with us. Jesus knew that his apostles, so beautifully pictured here in our stained glass windows, Jesus knew that his apostles would be persecuted and, and almost every single one of them killed, even, even Matthias. But he sent them anyway, and they went anyway. As a Christian, you will be hated by the world. Go anyway. Love anyway. Being in the world is not a bad thing we have to put up with for a while or, or, or minimize. It is our mission. Just a few days ago, we celebrated Jesus' ascension, where he uh, went to the Father, and, and there he promised that he would send the Spirit to be with us, to guide us into all truth, to sanctify us in the truth. Next week is Pentecost, when we will celebrate Jesus keeping that promise as the Spirit came down to us. We are not alone in this world. We will have trouble, but Jesus has overcome the world. And we have the power of his Holy Spirit dwelling in us to live and to love. We are not of this world, but we are in it. And that's a very good thing. In Jesus' name, amen.